doing it now. All right. Great. Well, welcome to Stress, Trauma, and the Body's Response. Again, this is Beth Katie from Modern Compassionate Care and Sarah Rose from Sarah Rose Botanicals. And we are going to just dive right into it. Um, so like I talked about a little bit before, um, um, when we are having these conversations about mental health, I'm a therapist. I hear people, um, all the time using lots of, of words. I use a lot of words and trying to explain different symptoms or experiences people are having, um, people come in and need a diagnosis. It's required for insurance at times. Some people like to have a diagnosis. Some people that might resonate with them and help them understand what their symptoms or experiences have been like. Sometimes that's very stigmatizing. Um, some folks uh, don't recognize that they may have experienced trauma um, in their development and upbringing or in a um, relationship or as a chronic experience, because it's not that bad, right? We have really for quite a long time thought about trauma in very significant, often singular events, um, car accidents, being at war, um, severe examples of abuse. But as we are understanding the constellation of symptoms that you might find in the diagnostic manual, we are recognizing to a greater extent that there is a lot of overlap and not just in the diagnostic manual of mental health disorders, but also physical um, symptoms that people have, physical dis uh, diseases that people are diagnosed with can have origins in trauma experiences, chronic exposure to stress, um, and it can manifest in anxiety. So I just wanted to include this to really kind of talk about the idea that there are all these terms that we, we use a lot, um, stress, trauma, anxiety, um, panic attacks, sleeplessness, substance use, um, nervous system dysregulation um, is something that we will talk a little bit about today and has become a more common and popular term for people to understand. And again, that is referencing our central nervous system, our autonomic nervous system, and the way that when stress is coming into our experience, whether it's an external stimulus, whether it's just overwhelmed with trying to keep up, whether it's because of the holidays and everything that everyone feels like they have to accomplish, um, getting back to normal, COVID anxiety, kind of re, um, reestablishing what normal is for us after these difficult couple of years. And then often people are at the same time having a lot of physical symptoms. Um, Katie sees a lot of patients with chronic pain, inflammation, um, other illnesses that are approved by um, the Illinois cannabis medical card are often related to inflammation. And we have seen that, and Katie will probably speak on this a little bit better than I can, what the connection is and how inflammation can be a result of stress and the um, chronic exposure to the activation in the nervous system where we think we are responding to, and I use the word think, but we are 
physically and mentally, they're all, our systems are connected and we are possibly interpreting incoming stressful stimuli in ways that may or may not be the actual response our body needs to give, or it is causing our system to stay in a period of activation. So for instance, if you are having an argument with a loved one and your nervous system gets dysregulated, your heart pounds, you feel the unheard, your you're sweating and you're nervous. Um, you are also maybe respond, you are, you know, maybe yelling back and forth or, or something like that. That's a, that's the activation that we're talking about the physical symptoms that come along. And, and I know, and we, we know this to kind of like focus on these things, um, to help ourselves, you know, deregulate downregulate from having that activation but it is chronic experiences like that and a difficulty of managing those responses in our body that can also lead to mental health disorders and physical health disorders and disease. Um, go ahead. So I wanted to talk a little bit again about the word trauma and how, um, Trauma is something that we are looking at in a more expansive way. Trauma is um, really any kind of stress that our brain experiences as um, a threat to our safety, a threat to our connection. We are wired to attach and we are wired for connection. And not only does this happen in these bigger significant experiences like a car accident, um, where that makes a lot of sense, but also as we're growing up, experiencing trauma in very small and large ways is a part of growing up. It is a part of the developmental process. And as Gabor Mate says in his book that talks a lot about our experience of stress and trauma and how it results in these um, physical disorders, that trauma is not what happened, it's how our body experienced it and essentially what kind of lasting impact that that has. So from a brain standpoint, our prefrontal cortex quickly is what you know really makes us human in that we can um, executive functioning, we can plan, we can um, logically reason, we try to have empathy, we're responsible for emo emotional regulation. This is meant to show you, okay, there, there is um, a uh, argument with your spouse, but that is, you know, it's not a crisis. It is something that can be worked through if that's functioning well and your relationship is safe. And perhaps you have um, that emotional regulation working very well for you. The hippocampus, again, these systems all work together and the hippocampus is really known for memory and learning. Um, while the amygdala is really that lower part of the brain, that animal part of the brain, reptilian part of the brain, sometimes people refer to, this is really your fight flight response. It's responding to threat. It sees a threat. It knows to run. It knows to, to fight back. It's, 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 it's ready to go. But it is refined with the idea that the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus say, okay, here's a threat coming in. Um, you know, my, my daughter has a very strong phobia to dogs. Um, so this is not, you know, but most folks can see, okay, that's a dog he's barking, but you know, I know from my memory that most dogs are well-trained and, 
you know, it's going to be okay. And, and all of those, those parts of the brain work together to say like, I'm reasonably safe in this instance. When people have experienced long-term stress or trauma, we can see in MRIs that these brain structures have changed shape. Um, prefrontal cortex and hippocampus have shrunk in folks with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which we'll talk about a little bit more and, and good old regular post-traumatic stress disorder. Those, those areas can actually shrink and atrophy when someone's been activated and is in the fear response more often than not. The amygdala can actually increase in size. Um, so it's just kind of giving you like trauma and stress as we experience it are actual injuries to the brain. And they, um, it's not something that's just, you know, someone's not strong enough to withstand. It really is changes in neurological functioning. And this is all really important. The reason why we talk about the ANS or the autonomic nervous system is that the connection through the nervous system is really defined by these structures connecting to the nervous system and kind of informing the body and also being informed by the body. And again, I'm talking about those physical senses that we don't always notice as much as we should, pounding heart, um, sweating, feeling cold from the inside. Um, I could go on and on forever in terms of, of ways that we know headache, um, exhaustion, the ways that we know that we are having a very strong stress response. I'm just going to chime in and also thank say you. tummy troubles. Yes. Thank you. I know there was like having a total, like not um, thinking exactly so connected to our gut. Absolutely. A lot of folks experience, um, these are just a little bit of an expanded look at each of those structures and we will have these available for you after. Um, this is again from the Institute of Child Psych. Um, great content. I found um, these graphics on Instagram. And um, yes, our, our, our brain is directly responding and communicating with our stomachs for the purpose that when we are under threat, we need to stop the body's energy flow from our frontal cortex and to our stomachs because our brain at the amygdala stage is saying there is something serious going on and we need to attune to that and only that. And that is some of the disruption we experience. And that happens through the connection with the ANS. And so um, the, um, the physical experience kind of feeling like it goes offline, I think is related to that as well. And why you might think the amygdala, if you're exposed to a lot of trauma and stress is enlarged. Um, this was a really great graphic on the autonomic nervous system. We could do like several hours of training on this. I still need several hours of training on this, but as a functional understanding of how our brain is truly connected to our body, I really love this um, visual of the nervous system running through the spine. And you could see reaching all the way down through your gut, all the way to your legs. Um, and that our different systems are activated in different ways um, at different points and for different reasons. And again, when we are experiencing chronic and repeated activation in all these structures, including the brain, including our physical in the stomach, we are dealing with the stress of the chronic, uh, of any of the chronic symptoms that come with it. 
we're dealing with the stress that we're actually dealing with. And we're all, I know we're all working so hard to feel better. Um, and so all of these uh, systems come into play when we are seeking out healing. So I want to talk a little bit too about the presence of PTSD, which I think we all know and understand um, for the most part as um, being a um, disorder that, that has been come to have been recognized. Again, in the DSM, it is mostly based on like a singular experience. Um, and then we have a lot of practitioners who are recognizing that PTSD is a little bit more complex than just a car accident um, or a specific assault that we have probably all experienced some level of trauma or stress in an ongoing way throughout our development that has um, just helped or in some ways helped us develop certain um, attributes and patterns. I think that sense that, you know, like some of the hardest things, you know, make us stronger is not necessarily the, the idea I'm going for, but that we learn ways to deal with difficult situations and our internal and external experiences from a young age. And that we all attempt to um, make make the adjustments in our and and find aspects of our personality to help us figure out how to deal with stress, trauma, difficulties in our relationship with our parents, difficulties in our relationship with our siblings, difficulties in the external factors of how we grew up, where we grew up, medical illnesses, whatever the whatever the difficulties have been, these cause kind of a pattern of habits, a pattern of reactions, of responses, of expectations. And the reason complex PTSD, I think, is so interesting is it it really can talk about how you might be presenting now when you come to therapy. Well, okay, like you have anxiety, but why do you have anxiety? And you might talk about these interpersonal disturbances. You might talk about a negative self-confidence concept. You might talk about affect dysregulation or the feeling of being upset noticing that you're feeling afraid, angry, all of those things, your affect, your feeling state, and not really being able to have a good control over that. Um, and again, it's also connected to this sense of threat, possibly avoidance, re-experiencing many of the same things we see when we are talking about just classic PTSD. Can you talk a little bit about the Especially, especially the re-experiencing. I know we've talked about this before, but that's not always what people think it looks like. If you, you know, a lot of times the, the, the tests, if you're taking a, you know, at a doctor or a therapist's office about PTSD, they're asking if you have flashbacks, which mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of a, a, a strange term to use for it. Cause it, it kind of gives the idea that, you know, you are like hallucinating, you're okay. out of it. And I, so people are like, well, no, I don't experience that. Absolutely. But like, what could this re-experiencing or what can a flashback look like for someone? I think in the, the experience of complex PTSD, that actually the idea of a flashback, we are having them far more often than anyone understands or acknowledges. And an emotional flashback is um, one thing that we can discuss further is that you perhaps grew up in an environment that 
um, let's say that there was abuse or chronic chaos, when you sense that threat and your body has that memory or your brain is primed to be vigilant or aware of that particular type of threat, maybe that came from a particular caregiver, for instance, and you re-experience that or you have a similar experience that feels the same from a current partner or in a job or even in your friendships, whatever the case may be, you can have an emotional experience, an emotional flashback. So to you, it's not like you're going to have this whole thing where I'm remembering, you know, how my grandmother shamed me for, you know, being myself as a young child, but you might remember, you might have the same experiences of shame of that physical response in your body of that protective measures you might've taken as a child where you just hid in your room and avoided the situation and, you know, dissociated. And certainly you don't think about dissociating necessarily either. And we can talk about that a little bit more um, as how we kind of shut our brains down to what's going on in the current, current experience. But I agree with you. I, that's again, like kind of the difference between the classic PTSD and complex PTSD is this getting away from this idea that it is like this very, specific visual psycho like almost a psychosis experience you know a, right. a very intense experience that you automatically recognize right away you might be having these flashbacks far more often than you realize and it's really informing your reactions that might again lead to the interpersonal disturbances and the negative self-concept concept on a regular basis and just to go even a little further back um Beth gave this great example of a grandparent. Um, we're also now uh, understanding that there's um, physiological impact, genetic impact from generational trauma. Yeah. And so we may also be carrying in our body minds, in our bodies, trauma responses um, from trauma that even our caretakers, maybe our parents or grandparents didn't experience directly or maybe something that a grandparent experienced that they never talked about. So there's a lot of um, layers to, to, to this, which can make it confusing. And also I just offer that up to say that we don't always have to know the source of why something is happening um, to acknowledge that it's happening for us. So true, Sarah. I worked in, um, in the adoption um, realm for a long time. And we, you know, had babies that would go home with families, you know, right away. And it was often, you know, why, why, why is there, you know, this kind of, um, experience that, that the children have in development and really coming to understand that, that, that even from in utero, we take from our cellular experiences of our, our mothers and the experience in utero of stress and trauma. And, and that is when our autonomic nervous system is developing right from those cells that you share and they're growing with the, you know, endocrine, the hormonal response of your um, birth mother and that someone who's in a state of chronic stress and trauma as, as some of our birth mothers were, would impact a child in the same way, even though they never were able to live together. Um, and that is true too with um, experiences. I've, there's research about um, the Holocaust and families that have had that from 
you know, multiple generations that trauma symptoms persist. Or the same, I'll be sharing an article about post-traumatic slave syndrome, which is, um, that concept was developed by Dr. Joy DeGroy. Um, and, the, you know, that speaks to the same thing, the legacy of people with, who have the family trauma of um, slavery mm-hmm. in, in their history and what that has looked like for generations of people now. Um, and that that is also a trauma that, um, that you know, some people may need to be factoring in when they're examining, you know, the, the chronic stress that that they're under. There may be, you know, layers of that going back in history from, you know, what you've personally experienced to what your ancestors have experienced. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a, um, a very interesting concept. So we'll share that along with our resources. Absolutely. Um, These are just the um, kind of a breakdown of the actual response systems. It's almost kind of like the behavioral and thought and emotional um, reactions that come from the physical activation from stress and threat and trauma. And this can also teach us about ways that we may have developed patterns of protection in response to difficult situations. Again, like with the grandma response, I would have, you know, I would identify that as a freeze response as if you had, you know, learned to just hide from everyone to avoid being shamed or abused. Um, I'm using the term shame because I think a a strong understanding in the complex post-traumatic stress disorder framework is that there isn't necessarily outright abuse that happens in the development of some of this. It can be significant emotional neglect. It can be, um, and again, it's, I think that people um, have a hard time with the word trauma because it sounds so blaming, like somebody did something to you and that person is wrong and that doesn't fit with how people feel about their families. But we can also accept that our, you know, our parents and caregivers were doing the best they could with what they had, and they may themselves have been dealing with trauma responses. They may have been being taught or applauded for um, parenting styles that resulted in some of these responses. So it's really giving yourself also the permission to understand that despite everyone's best efforts and intentions, negative things happen. That's part of growing up. And sometimes this is the result. And so these are kind of interesting and there's um, different combinations you might recognize if you dive a little deeper into um, the fight response, pretty well-known flight response. Again, that's the amygdala speaking right away to protect you. And the freeze and fawn responses are newer um, ways of thinking about the way people may avoid conflict. They may turn inward. We might see depression symptoms as a result of the freeze response. And the fawn response is a really interesting one that resonates with a lot of my clients in people pleasing, in, um, trying to be a peacemaker in trying to make other people feel better about themselves, even if they've done something wrong to repair that, attachment and repair those interpersonal disturbances, even if it's betraying themselves. And that cycle can in and of itself cause ongoing stress. And I think, you know, I associate that one uh, with a lot of the chronic pain syndromes that we see. 
a lot of times the patients that I see are stuck in one of those four states. And I also think it's important, you know, that you might, um, those responses, you can have any of those responses, depending on different relationships you have, different times in your life, you know, you, um, sometimes people identify with like, you know, fight response or something, but, you know, depending on different circumstances, you might find yourself reacting differently and you could be in one of those other states. So Absolutely. There's certainly combinations and um, different situations that call for different reactions. I am um, including this book as a really great guide to understanding the idea of complex PTSD. Um, I actually listened to it. I did it for the first time as an audible uh, driving my kids all over God's creation. Um, and it's, it's written by the therapist who's very, very, um, honest about his own experience, not only with his own traumatic history in his parent, in his experience in his family of origin, but how he really healed, how he went from not understanding that he even had a traumatic history to what it takes to really heal, identifying emotional flashbacks and working through them, reparenting the self, silencing the inner critic. Um, we can talk more about this. And, and, and I think we all will talk a little bit more about how we heal ourselves from this chronic stress um, activation and exposure. But this book has been incredibly um it's, it's been a, a real turning point for me in understanding um, not only my clients, but myself and really helps me understand the folks that I'm interacting with on a regular basis, whether they're in my family or other families um, and different interpersonal relationships I have that really providing empathy that we are often in a response of self-protection um, when we're faced with, with threat and, and chronic stress. Um, so that's all of that. I'd like to see everyone's faces again anyway. Okay, let me. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. I know. I oh, stop sharing the big button. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Those slides were really um, digestible on oh, a well, hard yeah. to digest topic. And uh, in my opinion, if anybody else thought they weren't digestible, please feel free to give us feedback on that because you and your experience is important to us. Yeah. So again, um, I, when I do work with my clients, um, often coming in, um, with the basics, you know, I can't, I'm procrastinating. I cannot focus on my work. I'm, I don't like being on zoom all the time. This isn't what I was signed up for. And I feel just completely ambivalent, um, having interpersonal issues at home, and inevitably, we can kind of trace back the, the cycles, the responses, the chronic stress. Um, and again, it isn't just the mental health stuff, which is, again, my, my focus, but, but the physical experiences that people have, too. Um, when we did see um, Gaber Mate give a speech on the health implications of chronic stress, he had, um, I'm, I don't have the exact um, statistics, but something like a, like a four, like four times more diagnosis of MS more often in women and inflammation diseases, like how they have proliferated autoimmune reactions 
And, and that in, in, in the past, like 40 years, I right. think, I mean, it was a, we'll continue to talk about that book for next time too. The <laughs> myth of normal Gaber Mate. Um, yes. But that, that, that there's that, and, and, and as a physician and as a physician for, for many, many years, recognizing the environmental stressors and the interpersonal stressors as being something that doctors are, are never talking about, or I shouldn't say that, but are, are not trained and not routinely in, in my own experience and, and in his research, um, assessing for trauma, stress, in, in more than kind of a cursory sort of way. And I mean, I really think that, you know, especially with the, the type of patients that I see, you know, specializing in medical cannabis, I see a lot of chronic pain patients, for example. And I, I really would say it would be, I, I don't know of any patients that have a chronic pain syndrome that aren't also suffering from some mental health symptoms, depression and anxiety. Um, not only, you know, just the strain of being in pain and dealing with that, but they also share the same, you know, kind of inflammatory signature, you know, in the brain and in the nervous system. A lot of these pain syndromes, it, it makes complete sense why, you know, with in addition to just mental strain, this sort of physical stress that's occurring in the body with pain results in depression and anxiety organically in the brain. Like that's kind of what I'm seeing. And I, and it's interesting because, you know, with cannabis, because it works in many different ways in the body, as we kind of talked, you know, it can be really helpful for, um, many things when it comes to PTSD, right? Like I have a lot of patients who have the diagnosis of PTSD and they have wide ranging symptoms, things like sleep disturbance. Um, the, as you know, Beth talked about the, the autonomic nervous system, the hippocampus, the center of memory and learning impacted in people with trauma. Well, cannabis can sometimes be helpful for people with trauma to produce like a, 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 a dreamless sleep, um, or someone who has recurring, uh, negative dreams, waking up, you know, in, in, in a panic, in a sweat, uh, cannabis, because of the way it works in the brain, it can help in trauma. Even there, there's even some cool studies in traumatic situations. Someone that was administered cannabis right after the traumatic situation, it prevents those traumatic memories from forming. So this is a circumstance where forgetting is protection. Um, then again, there's a fine line there because we also talked about dissociation being kind of a hallmark of complex PTSD. And um, when someone's using cannabis to treat PTSD, you're walking the, the, that fine line between, you know, uh, reducing those traumatic memories, but you also don't want to be um, dissociated all the time. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I always think about what our, you know, mentor and um, now friend, Dr. Dustin Sulek, um, uses this analogy of a crutch and a tonic when it comes to cannabis. Um, the, and, you know, that it can play different roles. Um, and when, when you are actually, you know, you have a broken leg and you're using a crutch, um, there is a good long portion of your healing that you need that crutch to be able to get around. But the very end of the healing process is when you actually bear weight 
and the bone is able to finally fully stitch back together with the weight bearing part of it. So a lot of the work that I do is kind of helping someone move from if they are um, using cannabis as a means for just dissociation um, and that's starting to impact their life, which it's something I've seen. It's very common um, that people get relief from PTSD and symptoms with cannabis. But um, I definitely think these are patients that deserve special support because there are ways to use it, including um, you know, using CBD as part of your regimen as a way to increase your endocannabinoid tone, like we talked about last time. There's strategies that can help you use cannabis more like a tonic, a health tonic, something that's helping you with your goals of healing, uh, reducing the effects of chronic stress, you know, versus um, using it as a dissociative agent, which um, sometimes that can be very helpful. Sometimes that's what people need is a little dissociation. So I'm not knocking that as a terrible thing, but it's, it's all about a balance and kind of conscious consumption um, as opposed to dissociation. So um, I don't know why I started on that path, but that's kind of my thoughts about, um, you know, how cannabis sometimes plays into this as something that can be helpful. For instance, when Sarah said about the gut, it's some people under significant stress can't eat. We've all been there, you know, where it's like, oh, and cannabis can be a a wonderful solvent to that where you can at least experience a little bit of a decrease of that clenching feeling in your stomach that something terrible is about to happen, is happening, is full of worry and feel a little bit relief so that you can take better care of yourself in that moment. Right. Um, and I think that that's, it's a, I mean, I think that's one, it's a, it's a great tool for so many things because it works on so many different parts of the, the brain and the body. Many symptoms related to chronic stress can be alleviated or you can support your nervous system with cannabis is one way. Um, you know, so we do, we do treat a lot of patients and often we do start with when we're doing our eval with, um, that adverse childhood experiences assessment, which I know that's something that we kind of wanted to talk about. You've touched on a little bit. I don't know if you've ever Sarah wants taken to it, take, Sarah, have any, like, um, anything to add about that? Sure. I'm in the chat, um, awesome. a little bit and, um, really liking that example of healing a broken bone. And, uh, I, I think, um, just to add on to what you were saying, um, cannabis has the, there's so many varieties of cannabis and also beautiful combinations of cannabis with other herbs and things like that. If you're thinking about cannabis as one of your tools and depending on dosage and product type and use, uh, it can be really used to, um, kind of tune in or tune out. That's what I put in the chat, but I was just, um, thinking about how, um, cannabis can be helpful for, um, tuning into the body as well. So, um, sometimes we, uh, benefit from a kind of like a gateway. And one of the things that I did want to share today is that, um, this is kind of a big thought, but that, um, that I haven't fully explored yet. So hopefully, hopefully this is, um, Bring it up. thank you. 
Club, that uh, that trauma is really a gateway for healing. We maybe we come into the world with trauma, whether that's birth trauma or the trauma of everyday life. And so um, while trauma can, our experiences of trauma, our responses to trauma, our trauma responses can be incredibly debilitating and sometimes life-threatening, they can also really call up for us a deep need to engage in our own care and well-being in a different way. And that's something that uh, that practice of, of awareness and um, taking care is something that we have the responsibility, maybe even burden to do for the duration of our lives. Um, so it's, it's a really big, uh, it can be a really big eye opener to just use some simple terms there. And um, this is a separate thought, uh, but something I wanted to talk about a little bit or just mention is um, disabilities um, and the ways that our bodies maybe change in response to trauma or um, the ways that our bodies are different and how um, sometimes the inaccessibility can also be very stressful. Um, and there are, mm, as Beth mentioned, a lot of experiences, um, medical experiences, poverty, um, environmental um, toxicity, different things that can really affect us. And so uh, this can be a very focused lens or it can also be a zoomed out lens. And depending on where we are in our healing journey, whether we're just beginning or maybe some years into it, um, we may want to tune in and tune out in different ways. And that there are different tools that may be relevant for us in different seasons of our healing. And so just like the chronic and the touch, um, I also want to mm, bring in uh, medication and that medication can often be a really helpful crutch. So uh, just a little self-disclosure here. Um, I'm somebody who lives with a PTSD diagnosis. My experience of PTSD has really um, evolved over the years. And I have engaged with a lot of different healing modalities. And sometimes um, that crutch can be life-saving. It can be the thing that we need to be able to um, bring us into some more nuanced and holistic approaches to our care. And so as we talk about shame and um, destigmatization, uh, I also want to say that sometimes hospitalization is um, part of the healing journey. Sometimes we're coping and then things kind of crack wide open for us. So um, this, uh, just like identity is not a monolith, um, healing is not a monolith, trauma is not a monolith, and our, and our journey is uh, not, not linear per se. So um, I think I'll pause there. Well, I love that sentiment. I think that that's Huge. really important to remember. You know, it's um, healing is not pretty always. <laughs> and it's true. And, you know, I mean, it's what we see about healing on Instagram. What, while there are some 
good resources <laughs> out there. It's um, healing can be a very ugly process sometimes, but I mean that in a good way, you know, really raw. And so um, whatever that looks like for you right now, you know, I think we're all here on earth on a healing journey. And, you know, I appreciate your self-disclosure. I, I share the diagnosis of PTSD. Um, I myself have, you know, tried uh, many things too. I, I, uh, one of the, the most amazing healing tools that I've experienced was a form of therapy called EMDR, eye movement desensitization, desensitization and Re, re, oh reintegration. <laughs> Thank you. I, I believe something I should absolutely something like know that. Means. Um, and it is, it, it, it involves kind of re-experiencing of a trauma. So I was um, dealing with grief at the time when I did this and, and bilateral stimulation of the brain while you're doing that. Um, you know, I, I went into actually on the advice of Beth, um, at a time when I, I was looking for something to help me when I was, ex I was, having a strong re-experiencing of some negative emotions that I wanted to deal with. And this within a few sessions, to be fully honest, had really helped me with the experiencing physical sensations of um, fear, trauma, uh, something that was interfering with my life in a pretty significant way. And I have to highly recommend EMDR as an option. Um, and there's a lot of practitioners out there if you just Google that. But if you're someone that's um, has that sort of a, you know, re-experiencing of, um, a, you know, a traumatic um situation in your life. It's something to think about. Please That's really connect with me. us. If yeah. you're interested in that, that's, it's a specific training. I know a lot of great therapists. I'm, I'm not trained in it. I hope one day in my, my, uh, training junkie behaviors, it's on the list, but, um, that, that there's a very good resource for those specific trainings. So yeah, that's another I'm thing sorry, that that's been great. Therapists. Yeah. And that's, uh, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, um, no, please finish your thought and then I'll jump in. Um, I was just going to say that um, I, you know, from a, a therapist point of view, there really are seasons in your life that different types of therapy, different therapists, different modalities, different types of healing, somatic therapies, working with coaches. There are so many different types that are going to fit you at different times. I, I just got a um, something from the Juniper Center, which is local here in Park Ridge with um, a practitioner who specializes in cancer. You've gotten a cancer diagnosis and just coaching you through the whole process. Um, there's just, there's just a lot of really fantastic. And I think that one thing I always tell my, my clients when I start is the most, the one thing we know about therapy is you have to feel that your therapist, practitioner, whoever the person is, is a good fit for you. You feel comfortable you feel safe. This is what we know. The relationship of therapy, it is what we think is the greatest source of healing and why it is helpful. So all there's many modalities and that can be a, a big bonus, but finding the therapist that you truly connect with and you are understanding and you feel like is understanding and mirroring you and provides a little bit of that reparative re relational experiences key. Um, I, every, you know, if you're looking for a therapist, 
it's great if they give a free consultation and chat on the phone beforehand. I would worry if they wouldn't chat with you for at least five minutes um, and just kind of like make sure you find someone who's a good fit. Go ahead. And, and and perhaps that that could even be Huba. <laughs> She's taking clients here. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, same thing goes for me. If you're if you've got PTSD or another mental health diagnosis and you are thinking about using cannabis or you do currently use cannabis, um, highly recommend uh, you make an appointment with a cannabis clinician to help you optimize that treatment. There are um, a lot of great products and ways out there that you could use cannabis medicine to, to help with this. Um, I think there's some ways that could go wrong. So, um, it, you know, and if you're dealing with chronic illnesses, medical in, uh, drug interactions that you're very good at parsing out for folks and, and things That's, like that. Yes. If you, if you're someone that has multiple diagnoses, you have a long medication list. That's one other thing I specialize in doing is just giving that a good look, making sure there's no interactions with cannabis potentially, and, you know, helping you get, uh, nailed in on a dose. That's going to be helpful that fits in with the rest of your treatment. So that's, that's basically what I do. And Sarah, your services as well, I think could be really helpful for somebody that's recovering from chronic stress and trauma. Um, Thank you. Yeah. We, we can all be resources for um, any of you or anyone that you know, if you're interested and, um, and maybe at different times. So maybe at some point you're working with a therapist or maybe you're starting off with a cannabis clinician, and then maybe you're moving into some work with a health coach when um, what you're experiencing isn't uh, so acute. And um, there are a couple of things that I wanted to share before maybe we move into closing out since I know we're about at the top of the hour and we want to be respectful of everybody's time. Um, I think a big part of uh, healing work and, and healing is kind of a funny term because it almost implies like arriving at a destination of being healed. So I just yeah. want to really put the healing journey in context. Um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah, that that a lot of it is about really um, being able to experience safety in your own body and in your own mind. Uh, we we really have have limited control over our external environments, and so uh, the resources that the three of us provide are really to support you in your um, in your personal and internal well being, so that you have the um, grounding and resources to be able to cope with everyday life and in a way that maybe starts to feel more optimal and, and moving from um, surviving to thriving. Uh, I also want to uplift energy work and body work. We don't have any, I think we all do a little bit of energy work, um, but I don't think any of us on the call are, are uh, hands-on body workers. So, um, you know, sometimes we want to start with talking. Sometimes we want to start with soothing the body um, and that and that can be a spiral or a continuum. And uh, another little tidbit that I was thinking of kind of linking our uh, cannabis or um, herbal use or psychedelic use is that with, with the healing journey, one might even um, really benefit from a kind of microdosing approach. So one day on, a couple of days off, it's not always the time to do immersive work. And uh, sometimes it's really great to take a step away. 
and um, nutrition and other herbs can also um, really be complementary if maybe you're feeling a little talked out or not quite ready to talk. I love what Beth said about the relationship um, between the therapist um, that, that you're really doing it together. And there's a, a reciprocity exchange there happening in some ways too, not that the therapist needs anything from you, but, but that alignment. Um, I think to just uplift one thing about coaching and my coaching practice, uh, I think it can really support developing and integrating self-care um, behaviors, activities, and practices, which can often be a struggle in, in response to um, a body response to trauma. So um, that can that can be available for you. And uh, in, unless we have any other um, closing words or comments, I'll, I'll guide us out with a little bit of um, grounding so that we can uh, transition from this space feeling um, able to move on to the next thing in our day. So I'll, I'll uh, pass the word before I lead us through anything else. I, I just think that's great. I think self-care is the kind of treatment for, for chronic stress and trauma. That's, that's how we heal ourselves. So I love that. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And so we'll just do a little momentary thing. I'm not actually sure what it's going to be yet. Um, and then I'd like to suggest that we're going to put up our, um, our bio slides if we have them just so that people have our contact information. Um, and I'll just shout out those in. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, that's no problem. Well, you can we'll reach me. Yep. You can reach me through my practice, Sarah Rose Botanicals, and you can reach uh, Beth and Katie through Modern Compassionate Care. You'll have access to our contact information in closing. And so um, the theme that I have for us closing out is compassion. So I'll uh, just be a little spontaneous here and um, say that I invite each and every one of you, myself included, to um, maybe call in a feeling, a sense, an image of compassion, maybe even doing something for yourself that feels compassionate that might be like you know, flipping out your hands or, you know, if your hands feel a little cold or sweaty, doing something like that just to ease, maybe um, shimmying out your shoulders a little bit. And uh, I'd like for um, everyone here to really take a compassionate moment and to um, express gratitude for ourselves for being here today in this opportunity to uh, learn together and, and be in dialogue. And let's just take um, three closing breaths at our own pace. And we'll close out at 105 CST. So at your own time, breathing in, maybe breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. You can keep your eyes closed or open just calling in some awareness that we are here, breathing, a moment to be present with our breath. When you're ready to, you can let that go. And if you feel like unmuting yourself to say goodbye, you're welcome to.
thank you all for being here today and for showing up for yourselves and for your loved ones in this way. Thank you, everybody. And we'll be back our regular time last Thursday of the month in January. So our next one of these will be January 26th. We're going to keep on our theme of trauma. We're going to be talking a little bit about trauma within the medical system, self-advocacy, and we're going to have a guest, um, our friend, Donna Murray, who's an amazing um, advocate. And um, she's going to share with us some of her experience. We're going to talk about, um, yeah, medical trauma, self-advocacy, maybe a little bit of long COVID. And uh, we know how to have a good, you time. know, <laughs> so if you guys have any questions or comments that you want to, you know, add to us, ask us before the next event, just please shoot us a DM, shoot us an email. Uh, we love to yes, make this interactive. Want to talk about if you want to come on and have a join us? Absolutely. Yeah, really fun. Thank you, everyone. Yes, and also, um, Katie, correct me um, here, but I know that Beth and I both offer a um, free consult to see if we're aligned to work together. I'm not sure if that's part of the um, the cannabis um, offering. Um, Definitely. Yeah. If, yeah. I usually will, you know, talk with someone, just give me a call. You know, if you have a question and you're not sure if you want to make an appointment, just give me a call. You know, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions, allay any fears. Um, if you, you know, just want a little bit of information, you don't have to make an appointment. Just give me a Explain ring. Explain the different services that you offer. Exactly. It's not always clear to people who haven't worked with a cannabis clinician before. Totally. So definitely reach out. I always will meet with someone ahead of time to just give them, you know, a rundown, answer any questions. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time and happy holidays to all of you. Take good care. Be well. Bye. Bye. Can we save the chat? Yeah.